Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's July 14th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Halsbarby and I'm here as always with my co-host Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. Gearing up for a big time Texas barbecue this weekend. I hear that you're uh, having a good time out there in sunny Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's crazy that... So in, in LA right now, I think we're in like the... I don't know. Oh God, I'm so rubbish with Fahrenheit to Celsius right now. I'm out of Facebook. It's probably like high 70s, maybe very low 80s. In London right now, which I have fled for LA for the next couple of weeks, <laughs> it is on, on Wednesday, get this Austin, on Wednesday in London, it is going to be 97 degrees Fahrenheit. But for for wow. all the Celsius people here, it's 36, 37 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, Celsius. It is going to be unbearable. Like, bear in mind, most of the country, they don't have AC. Like, and it's like, I think we've talked about this before. It's, it's not even like a wealth thing. It's just try fitting air conditioning in a 200 year old building. Good luck. Uh, like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, so it is. I mean, there's a heat wave across Europe, but wow. In, uh, in London, it is just wild right now. So I'm, yeah, I'm actually is... enjoying a respite here in uh, LA, yeah. like nice breeze, stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> That's so unreal. Like you're, you're gearing up to say how hot it was in London. And I'm like sitting here like, I can't wait to hit him with my Texas temperature because it's definitely going to be way worse. And literally right now, Matt, it's 97 degrees Fahrenheit. So I can't even oh. one up you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we matched you. We've matched you. Uh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think it's similar. Like it, uh, am I right in like Austin where it's, it, it's uh, a humid heat in, in Austin? It can be, yeah. Yeah, I think it's similar in London. Whereas I think, like in LA, if it was like ninety-seven, it's actually a drier heat, much easier to uh, to to manage at least. Yeah, even though like ninety-seven degrees, absolutely horrible for anyone. Uh, but yeah, crazy times. <clears throat> well, we've also got some crazy times in the crypto space. Some really good stories to dive into today, talking about Celsius. Some big things happening there that we have been building up toward. Uh, interesting Mount Gox case update. And then yeah. we've also got a cool overview of the crypto market and kind of the state of the world over the course of the last quarter. And then Matt, you've got some interesting news to talk about with some NFTs that are being burned. So yeah, stick yeah. around for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we got a few really interesting stories today and uh, also uh, an update on Coinbase's ongoing NFT marketplace failure, uh, which would be fun. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll jump into our first story of the day right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I've something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step -step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. So, for quite some time now, we have been anticipating that Celsius 
may be in a bit of a vulnerable position. As you remember, last week we mentioned when we talked about the collapse of Three Arrows Capital and Voyager Digital, that now everybody's eyes were kind of turning to Celsius, which was in some similar rough waters and was rumored to be preparing for its own bankruptcy filing. And it turns out they've done it as of this week. Celsius have filed for bankruptcy. And during that same time, um, things did get a little more hairy with the Three Arrows Capital situation. A judge in New York uh, bankruptcy court actually froze their remaining assets, and they're now in the process of their liquidation proceedings, which it's said that they're starting to issue subpoenas as part of this. So a lot is happening there. Um, Sue Zhu also has broken his month-long silence and is now alleging that liquidators are playing dirty. He said, quote, our good faith to cooperate with the liquidators was met with baiting. So mm. the three arrows capital situation continues to unfold. And I think we can expect the same kind of drama to come out of what's happening with Celsius as they now have filed chapter 11 bankruptcy. Um, this is a big deal because Celsius was one of the largest crypto lending platforms. In fact, they had more than $8 billion in loans to clients and almost $12 billion in assets under management as recently as May. That was spread across 1.7 million customers. So a lot of folks tied up in this. And they were, of course, making the claim throughout all of this time that their interest-bearing accounts and yields would be as high as 17%, somewhere around that magical 20% number that we've yeah. <laughs> Well, Celsius had always been kind of the... It, like, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, if this was... January of uh, of this year, and someone said to me, like, "Oh, I'm like really concerned about staking platforms, but I want to like stake some of my, I don't know, like my USDC or something like that. What's like the safest bet?" I mean, I would have I would have probably said Celsius or like like or BlockFi or like these ones that were felt much more like the Web two type companies than just like DeFi protocols, and you know they were the they were the platform, the, the company of choice that a lot of like the big centralized exchanges, I think Gemini uh, use Celsius amongst others uh, for their like staking um, kind of services and their earned services. So this is a big deal. I mean, I, I was listening to like a couple of just like my morning briefing podcasts today from like Financial Times, Economist, and Celsius was mentioned. Like it, this is like mainstream news mentioning again, and you know, Three Arrows and things like that have not been mentioned uh, as much in like the mainstream side of things. So this is another black spot on the crypto space. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the only bright side I see here is that we're getting towards the end, probably of the big kind of bankruptcy filings there's not not many of them left now to go bankrupt uh yeah. so uh, yeah 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 i i agree with you i don't think that to be clear i don't know if that necessarily means that the bottom is in um, but we i think we are you know nearing the end of the sort of firms that it looks like would be obvious at risk of course all eyes sort of turn to fd ftx and circle now as examples of, you know, titans that are still standing. But mm. nevertheless, Celsius had more than 100,000 creditors. That's a lot. And wow. in fact, their largest unsecured claim as of right now is an $81 million claim from a Caymans Island-based Pharos Fund. Um, and in fact, SBF himself 
through his trading firm, Alameda Research, is also a creditor with a $12 million unsecured loan. Not exactly a big Pocket deal, change. Uh, Pocket them. change yeah. to SBF, isn't it? Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's yeah. like us buying like a sandwich or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe like a sandwich in Switzerland or something yeah. like that, like a $30 sandwich. <laughs> Still, pocket change. Yeah. Still, yeah. <laughs> um, so how how is this... Uh, how did all of this come to, to play? Well, it turns out that the firm, as we all know, would lend customers crypto out to counterparties that were willing to pay a sky-high interest rate in order to borrow it. And then Celsius would then split some of that revenue with its users. That's where that sort of 17% yield came from. But the structure, of course, all came crashing down amid the liquidity crisis that has unfolded in the industry. And this sort of started to unfold back in May, June. You may recall that back in June, Celsius paused all customer withdrawals and swaps, and they cited their liquidity issues. And then this prompted regulators from Alabama, Kentucky, New Jersey, Texas, and Washington to open investigations into what was happening there. And then subsequently, they spent the next month actually paying back loans and outstanding debts that totaled over a billion dollars. Now, with their Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing, they claim that they have ample liquidity with $167 million in cash to support their operations. We'll see how that goes, though. The Vermont Department of Financial Regula- Regulation has has publicly advised that Celsius investors uh, should proceed with caution, and they've said that the firm is deeply insolvent and lacks the assets and liquidity to honor its obligations to account holders and other creditors. Now, as far well, as I that's reassuring. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's gnarly. Um, with that said, I don't know how much visibility the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation does have into Celsius and their operations. Uh, Celsius is not licensed to operate uh, in Vermont, although it is in many other U.S. states. Nevertheless, the warning is there. And at the same time, Jason Stone, who is the CEO of KeyFi, has filed a lawsuit against Celsius, alleging that Celsius used customer funds to, quote, manipulate crypto asset markets and that they had failed to institute bank basic accounting controls, which thus endangered the deposits and that they had also failed to carry through on promises. So, uh, yeah, typical sort of lawsuit lingo there that does not spell well for Celsius. And what this may result in is that the customers could end up having to wait years to see their money again, if they see it at all. And they may only be entitled to pennies on the dollar at that point. So it is a scary position to be in. Yeah, it's really it's really difficult. I think this is like the big question for anyone that still had funds locked up within Celsius that now are, I mean, you're not getting that back until liquidation proceedings um, begin. It, it, I mean, what the question will be is who's going to get paid first? And yeah. it doesn't look like it's going to be those customers. It looks like the big creditors are probably going to get paid out first. Will there be anything left for the average retail customer? I highly doubt it. And the the sad thing, and I think this is like one of those situations where we talked about this in the episode, the first episode we did around the the, the Luna crash, where like Luna and like more specifically Anchor Protocol, this Celsius's product offering was targeted to retail customers as a place to store their savings and and be kind of like this inflation hedge, earn yield 
put this crypto to work that you're just not doing anything with in a safe way. And that is where a lot of people get burned. I will say, and I, and I really want to avoid, and <clears throat> I want to clarify, I'm not putting any blame on retail customers here, uh, but it, it does astonish me the amount of people that did not pull their funds from Celsius around all of kind of like the chaos that was happening. And uh, so having your funds still in there at this point, outside of simply just like living under a rock and not realizing, it does lead me to like wonder the risk tolerance of people and what what the benefit of doing that is like for a few percent yield. But uh, I feel really bad for people that have got burned here. This is going to be another major kind of wake up call for the industry. And just more damning than anything else, you know, when we go through these investigations and you actually see how these billions of dollars of funds were actually being managed, it's, uh, it's beyond negligent. It's, uh, it's just, it's ludicrous. And it's, it's really, really damaging for the industry. And uh, hopefully we can start to see that good comes from this with sensible regulation more protection for users and uh, more transparency from these kind of protocols and uh, platforms that are ultimately using customer funds uh, to, to to lend and uh, et cetera. That's my hope, at least. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think it's a tall order. <laughs> but we'll... Uh... Well, we're certainly going to get some regulation out of it, and um, we have more to talk about on that later in the episode. Um, With that said, yeah, Matt, I I think you're right that it's kind of, we're going to have to wait to see um, what happens for the customers that took part in Celsius's high-yield deposit program, because it looks like they could be seen as unsecured creditors in the eyes of the court, which Mm -hmm. means that their crypto could actually be considered the company's property and thus yeah. as an unsecured creditor, they may not get it back. So, or, you know, it could be pennies on the dollar. It's not totally clear at this point. There's a lot that still needs to come to light here. So it's an interesting story for us to keep covering. Uh, up next, some more interesting stuff from Mount Gox, a case that we have been covering for quite some time now. Some interesting updates coming up next. Mount Gox, you may have heard this term if you entered crypto in kind of the last cycle in 2017, you may or may not have been familiar with Mount Gox, probably a distant memory at that time. I actually think one of my first ever, like outside of just knowing about Silk Road at the the time, but like 2012, kind of 2013 area, I think that was like my first proper interaction with Bitcoin was uh, learning about Mt. Gox. And then at the time, really, and, and, and just to clarify, I, I didn't actually have any Bitcoin, uh, thankfully, uh, inside Mt. Gox. Um, but uh, then in February 2014, so just as a refresher for everyone, um, Mt. Gox, which at the time was, I think, by far and away, the, the largest um, centralized exchange uh, where you could buy Bitcoin, they filed for bankruptcy after losing somewhere in the region of like seven hundred and fifty thousand 
bitcoins, of its customers' bitcoins, I'll add, and then 100,000 of the company's own. Uh, there'd been a long, drawn-out saga of trying to recover some of these funds. The CEO, uh, Marco Peles, was uh, at the heart of all of this. And he actually acquired Mt. Gox. And I actually forget off the top of my head who he acquired it from. Uh, but was general general consensus would be that he was relatively inept and somewhat corrupt, which was then later found to certainly be true in the latter, where he was arrested for fraud, embezzlement um, in mid-2015. It was actually found that he manipulated Mt. Gox computers so that they would show like incorrect balances of, of Bitcoin. And what that meant is that he actually stole uh, just over $2.5 million worth of Bitcoins from users' funds just for his personal use. Um, and I think he's still serving out an, uh, 30 or so months left of his prison sentence right now. So didn't end up too well for Mark, Uh didn't end up very well for Mt. Gox customers, um, I will say. But what has been interesting is that, and, and I think for the longest time, it was just assumed if you lost your cash in Mt. Gox, i.e. like it was, uh, you had Bitcoin held inside like Mt. Gox wallet, which was very commonplace back then. I think this was like what really sparked the whole like not your keys, not your not your coins kind of situation. Um you know, you were never getting that back. There's been some big developments. So in, uh, I think, 2015, yeah, 2015. Um, so uh, Nobukai Kobayashi, uh, as an attorney, he took on the case uh, of trying to recover the customer funds or at least reach a settlement in some place. He was also appointed uh, trustee in the kind of Mt. Gox rehabilitation process. Recently confirmed, he was preparing, I quote, preparing to make repayments to account holders. Now, it's understood that there's around about, there's been a settlement of around about 150,000 Bitcoin. Um, at today's valuation, it's around about $3 billion, which is going to set to be paid out to creditors. Now, those that are owed Bitcoins uh, have the choice of receiving these Outstanding funds is like a an early lump sum repayment, um, which it says, I quote, they have the choice of either an early lump sum repayment or not. <laughs> I don't know what or not <laughs> is, uh, but uh, we'll move on from that. Um, but it also says what I thought was interesting. So they can receive this in uh, USD cash. They can receive it in Bitcoin or for some bizarre reason, you would want to receive this in uh, Bcash in Bitcoin Cash. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe there's one man on the planet who would, uh, who we were recently talking about that would like that, but I have no idea who else would want that. So the the, the interesting part of this is a few things. So I I have a question in all of this. It's just how are they going to distribute these funds to customers? Austin, like what one thing I'm trying to yeah. think about here is right. Like I I remember having a Mount Gox account that I'd like signed up for. I cannot remember for the life of me what the process was like, but I'm pretty sure they didn't do KYC um, back mm -hmm. then. So, and like, you know, 
if we're just relying on like an email address or something, I'm pretty sure that's going to be a crappy way of doing this. So I don't know if this is all like if you filed as part of the class action and how you proved it all, but um, it was all lost through the Mt. Gox kind of custodial wallet. So they don't have wallet addresses for people who lost funds. I, I actually have no idea how like the next steps of these repayments will will even work at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that you're right about KYC would not have been part of the process for a significant portion of the wallets affected. Um, I mean, right around the time that we were reporting on all of this going down was when KYC requirements were starting to make their way onto the scene. And I remember even like Coinbase was, you know, famously sort of wrestling with that. So uh yeah that's a weird one <laughs> yeah it's gonna be, I, I have no idea <laughs> yeah it's gonna be interesting i'm gonna try and dig a little bit deeper and see what we can find out about that but i think that's kind of interesting but i think the bigger question here <clears throat> and there is a lot of fear around this and i definitely think there is a, also as is always the case on especially crypto twitter a lot of misinformation um a lot of people are worried and there's been a lot of fud circulating you know uh, oh, three billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, 150,000 Bitcoin are going to get dumped on the market. It's going to cause the next big crash. I, I, I think like th- th- there's a lot of hyperbole that's circulating around some of this. It, it's it's hard to tell right now, but the idea that you know three billion dollar will be dumped uh, on on the market is is largely unfounded. And uh, so I think there's a few things here that are important to call out. So creditors, um who are kind of keen to sell, uh, they've already been bought out by large funds. This happened a long time ago. These losses have already been accounted for. Um, largely, these creditors are long-time crypto participants. Right? You know, people that had funds in Mt. Gox, they have been very early into Bitcoin. And I imagine that they still ended up doing relatively well. Um, you know, they, they probably have a whole other load of interest in the space and they've adjusted their exposure prior to this distribution happening as i mentioned earlier on right it's uh people had written this off a long time ago so the and and if we if we also kind of go back to our favorite topic luna um the whole debacle around that we've seen larger dumps uh from kind of when uh the uh, the Luna Foundation Guard were dumping all of their BTC reserves, the ongoing Three Arrows situation and dumping that happened there. So I, I think that I would take all of this, like, I think largely clickbaity headlines around like this giant dump that's going to happen with with a grain of salt here. I, I, I don't envisage this happening. Sure, there's going to be some sell action if this happens. We'll have to see how the distribution works. But overall, um, I'm, I'm really happy that at least some people are going to be able to get some of this cash back, although, albeit like nowhere near the amount uh, that 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 was lost, um, but it's a good step forward and is a good thing from a legal perspective that we're seeing at least a somewhat good outcome um, based on where we thought it would net out. So we'll keep everyone updated on the ongoing situation. We're probably going to learn more in the coming month um, or two, and we'll we'll keep you all updated on what happens with those distributions. And if you were one of those people that were unfortunate enough to have funds locked up in Mt. Gox, well, we're hoping that you end up with a very nice surprise, uh, probably needed in the current market conditions. Um, all right, let's jump into the next story of the day. And Austin, you're going to walk us through very aptly the uh, the current state 
of the crypto market. So we'll jump into that right now. Despite the fact that it is 97 degrees Fahrenheit in London right now, it's still cold out there in the crypto market as we head through <laughs> this crypto winter. And uh, I, yeah, I thought it would be a good time to take a look at how things performed overall in Q2 of 2022. CoinGecko put together a nice comprehensive cryptocurrency report that I'll be pulling from here. We'll link to it. Um, so... How have things unfolded over the course of the last three months as we've entered this crypto winter and as we may find out, at least in the case of the U.S., perhaps entered into a recession, two quarters of negative GDP growth? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, well, first and foremost, the top 30 coins have lost over half of their market cap since the previous quarter, which means that the market cap overall now sits at approximately $900 billion. And while prices have gone down by a fair bit, spot trading volumes have remained relatively stable at around $100 billion daily. In fact, if you take the top 10 decentralized exchanges, they recorded a total of $274 billion in spot trading volume in Q2 2022, giving a monthly average of around $92 billion. Um, still so making money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are still making money. With that said, if you compare this to Q1, which saw a total of $446 billion and a monthly average of $149 billion, we are down. But yeah. it seems to have stabilized around $100 billion daily. Um, what about the top 15 stable coins? We've been talking a lot about stable coins over the course of the last couple months. Well, they've lost almost a fifth of their market cap or around... $33, 34000000000 billion in absolute mm. terms. And of course, uh, you know, predictably, Tether um, accounted for a significant portion of that loss. But maybe to a little bit of surprise, they're actually still the largest stablecoin by market cap. Uh, in yeah. fact, the decrease in stablecoin market share, it does suggest that a, a certain amount of capital has completely exited the crypto system in contrast to when, you know, last quarter investors were just kind of de-risking into stable coins. But still, despite this huge exit of capital, Tether is uh, the largest stable coin by market cap, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it seems, I think the big winner in um, stable coins has actually been USDC. When you, when you look at where um, obviously UST and everyone like obviously flooded away from there. There was a huge exodus of algo stable coins. I think uh, Frax really got caught up in the wave of that, albeit they were a smaller market cap stable compared to, to others. I think even DAI started to see um, a, a drop, a tether, a, a big chunk of uh, tether users flipped over into USDC. So they, they've certainly gained some market share um and uh have have had a lot more people but i agree i mean even myself um i i found that where typically i would just hold um kind of dry powder and stables uh i, I took a, a big chunk of that out into fiat just to de-risk um during yeah. kind of all of the instability and i'm sure mo a lot of other people are doing the same yeah <clears throat> Now, DeFi in general, its market cap has decreased from about $142 billion to $36 billion over wow. the course of the past three months. That's a huge 
destruction of market cap. Uh, and yeah. much of that was wiped out largely because of the collapse of Terra and UST, which mm-hmm. uh, makes sense. Yeah. Um, Ethereum regained some of its total value locked dominance as altchains started to shrink. So while Ethereum has increased its TVL from about 54% to 60%, which is that gain that I was talking about, still, its overall TVL is about 52% lower compared to what it was in Q1 of 2022. Yeah, it feels then, like the whole like battle for like the layer one blockchains has like they've all been hit really hard like you look at the likes of avalanche phantom uh maybe slightly less so polygon but like even arbitrum and others that they're they've all been hit pretty hard um and the this seems to be that a lot of the activity is flooding back into mainnet and and i think it probably helps that gas fees as a result of reduced activity are so much lower i think i i, I would like my i've been paying like somewhere in the region of like a, a, like a few cents for most of my ethereum transactions recently it's just, it, it's it's wonderful i'd love it to stay yeah. like this uh but yeah so i think that kind of helps with that narrative as well right yeah and and certainly though that sort of shrinking market that we've seen uh happening across the board also you know and the same way that it's hitting Ethereum transactions, it's hitting NFTs. OpenSea's dominance is slipping right now, and its competitors are gaining ground. Uh, they did retain their hold in the top position, to be clear. But over the past couple months, Magic Eden and X2, X2Y2 seem to have caught up a bit. In fact, they've even taken turns overtaking OpenSea's daily and weekly volume. So that's a space to watch. We talked a lot about the threat that the Coinbase NFT marketplace may play to OpenSea. Turns out that wasn't really much of a threat. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I think it's interesting because I think Magic Eden in particular, so I think the X2Y2 kind of exchange, uh, sorry, um, marketplace numbers are a little misleading in that similar to when looks rare launched it was largely people cashing in on like the rewards they give out and just wash right. trading on there right. right and so there's an element of that magic Eden, on the other hand have been riding a real wave of this like explosion in solana nft ecosystem and i think OpenSea tried to tackle that by then supporting solana if anything i i kind of think and and i i actually thought that was a good idea but it seems to almost have backfired. It's almost like re-legitimized, yeah. you know, like Solana as a chain. And then people have flooded to where the most liquidity is. And Magic Eden have really taken that on and done a load of good stuff. And I actually love the Magic Eden marketplace. I don't know if you've used it before, Austin, but like they have some really great features. Um, and it's just so easy to use. The mobile app's great unlike mm-hmm. OpenSea, which is basically yeah. unusable mobile app. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I think that's been been really good. Well, up next, we've got some interesting stories about some NFTs that have been burnt. Some of you may have heard about the Wizards project. Uh, if you haven't, something that I've been digging into the past few days, it has been incredibly controversial. So Wizards as a kind of PFP uh, NFT project, 10,000 items, and it's like 
big like story law driven similar to a lot of projects i would compare it to the kind of not quite like the goblin town that we were talking about austin recently but it is like a oh yes my favorite project i love it i love i love (laughs) goblin town i still love it i bring back the goblin noises please uh but you know the uh it's kind of like a subculture like uh kind of project but here's 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 why it's become controversial so they they did their initial mint and then people started to sell and what they'd actually uh they'd actually implemented some logic into into all of the nft's smart contract that are now that allows nft holders to vote to burn any of the wizards nfts that are listed below the floor price on secondary market. So if you list uh, one of your Wizards NFTs for below 3.2 ETH, that's what the, the current floor price is right now, um, you could have that NFT just burned and you will no longer own that NFT. You will not make a sale from it. And uh, people are pretty annoyed about that, it turns out. Um, but there, there's nuance to this. So when I first started reading about this, I was like, whoa, how on earth have they done this? Because there's been... Some somewhere in the region of like a thousand of these NFTs have been burned, and I saw a few tweets. People were just like, "Oh, great! Like I've been tr- like rugged. Uh, I've had like my NFTs stolen, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, yeah, and to be clear, that's like ten percent of the <laughs> NFTs overall, right? Because there were around ten thousand yeah. made in total, and then you've got a thousand of them that are being burned through this process. It's significant. Definitely. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, what are they just trying to prop up the floor price artificially? Like, how long does this actually last, etc, etc. I I, want to explain how this works. Because I've also seen from doing like a lot of research into this, I started down like this research where it was like, okay, let's like read a few articles about it, dig into the project a bit. And there was a lot of misinformation out there. So I want to clarify, right? So here's, here's, here's how it actually works, right? So if you just if you just hold the NFT in your wallet, you can also stake the NFT, which I'll come on to in a second. Um, it, it can't be burned. So the only time it can be burned is if you just go and try and sell it on like OpenSea or a another marketplace, um, and you list it for below the uh, below three point two ETH. So let's talk about how that happens, right? So if you're a Wizard NFT holder, um, it's by the way, it's WZRD is uh, is is the project. So if you stake that in their, what they call their dark forest uh, contract, which you can just basically do on their website, you can stake it, it locks it up. You begin earning uh, what they call shrooms. So like these little mushrooms. So the longer you stake it, the more you accrue these like shrooms, right? And um, so when an an NFT holder that isn't staking, if uh, let's say I've staked my wizard NFT and I've been accumulating like, 500 shrooms i can't sell shrooms they're not like an erc20 token they're just part of uh the um the the nft project is just another i believe a a tokenized asset inside there but anyway let's say austin owns another different wizard nft and he's not staking it right and you go austin you go all right i'm gonna sell this on OpenSea, and you list it for under 3.2 eth let's say you list it for 2.5 eth well, in like my staking area where I see this, there's a list that shows any of the 
NFTs that are being currently listed on the the marketplace on a on a secondary marketplace like OpenSea for under that 3.2 ETH price. What I can do is I can see that and it'll say to me, okay, you can, as in me personally, I can have the option to burn your NFT, Austin, for X amount of these shrooms. So it's kind of like incentivizing people to stake their, their NFTs. Obviously, you can't sell or transfer anything when it's in a staking contract. So let's say I have to spend like 100 shrooms and I can do that. So I go, okay, cool, bang. And I and I press the press that it triggers like the um the attribute in the smart contract and then austin all of a sudden you will no longer see that nft listed it will no longer be in your wallet it will no longer be in circulation it will be burned it doesn't exist anymore and here's then what happens right so what what for for the thousand or so people that that's happened to already the nft got burned and then they got airdropped this uh this new nft that was called half skull of a wizard so it's like half a skull of like this wizard it's an nft in itself the floor price of that is significantly lower I'm just looking at it right now it's like 0.15 eth significantly lower right um and then the so you would get that austin but then me as the person who actually burned the nft i also get a half skull uh of a wizard too so this is like interesting incentive and i think this is what's kind of rubbing some people the wrong way because if i think about okay what what are the variables that typically or what are the factors that typically make like a pfp project like this valuable so you've got like one element which is just you know popularity um good narrative good story things like that and this is like part of it right so they're doing something different think about goblin town and like the law the story the the community that they cultivated around it that's one piece and then scarcity is another so if mm-hmm. at one point there was ten thousand, and then all of a sudden you have the ability as an nft holder to start burning these nfts and reducing that making your nft more and more rare if you like well then that's going to also increase the the price theoretically um so there's this kind of a interesting dynamic and there's been a lot of backlash around some of this i think on the other side some people are viewing this as like okay this is actually like people that have had their nft burn they're like okay um the whole kind of project is really story driven it seems to be all part of the story it's like definitely like an innovative approach but while you can and i understand why some people are upset i will say the project did make this clear that this was a thing it was all part of like the law i know people don't typically read into all of that when they just look to flip an nft um but others are kind of banking on these like half skulls playing a big role in the future maybe they become valuable but but I guess we'll see. I guess my big question here that I, I, I'm interested in your take as well, since like, you know, when people are investing their cash into assets that they own, right, the, the NFTs, is it okay to kind of implement this kind of gamification that ultimately loses their quote unquote investment? under the guise of like gameplay, whether that's like legitimate or not. Like where is the blurred line? Because we, we, we're framing this, we're saying, well, you know, this is kind of in the smart contract. It's uh, it's not a rug pull because it's part of the story. But it, if this turned out that then kind of the, the founders just rugged everyone and ran away, we'd be like, oh wait, actually, no, it isn't the story. Like, wow, that was like kind of bad. So it, it, I, I'm trying to like 
figure out where do we draw the line on some of these things? And it's very blurred for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting ethical question. I mean, I think that no doubt there's a lot of schadenfreude that's happening here where people are maybe, you know, happy about seeing NFT flippers um, get burned from this process. That doesn't necessarily, you know, mean that it's ethical, right? I mean, I think you could argue that NFT flipping through certain lenses is unethical. And so, you know, taking an unethical action in the opposite but equal uh, measure direction um, maybe is ethical. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, nevertheless, I, you know, I, I think that uh, it's if you remove the ethics from it, it is an interesting dynamic um, that has been created here because not only does it create additional scarcity, but it discourages uh, NFT holders from listing their NFTs. You know, uh, up for sale below uh, the the floor price, right? So. Yeah. Um, the, this, you know, theoretically could create a huge buildup in value. Um, I also am intrigued by the half skull values as well. As you mentioned, yeah, hanging out around 0.15 ETH right now could potentially become some type of like a cult asset um, that, you know, maybe a, a bit of, uh, you know, piece of pride to have something like that, whether because you burned somebody else's NFT or your NFT got burned or, or something to that effect. But in terms of like the ethics of causing um, folks to lose their investment, I think that pers- personally, I feel that it comes down to how obvious it was made to them that they were, you know, taking this risk and whether they assumed the risk knowingly. Um, if you're an NFT flipper, that knowingly assumed the risk and your NFT got burned. I don't think you really have a lot of ground to stand on, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, and if that's because you just failed to familiarize yourself with the project, um, I, I still don't think you really have any ground to stand on because the sort of, you know, the, 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 the basis of, of all of these projects is that they need the people that are participating in them and our NFT holders to like genuinely be, part of the ecosystem and to be invested in it beyond just a monetary investment. Um, And without that, as we've seen time and time again, things can start to fall apart. So maybe it's a bit of a harsh strategy, but I think that purely from an ethical perspective, if they're doing what they, you know, what a, a reasonable, if they're making a reasonable effort to let NFT holders know that this is baked into the smart contract and their NFT could get burned. I don't think you have much ground to stand on if you get your NFT burned. Now, the one sort of, I guess, uh, edge case here, which could prove to be much larger than an edge case. I mean, just anecdotally, the stories that I'm seeing on Twitter and things like that, they're they're not, they wouldn't fall into this edge case. They're people that know what they're doing and, uh, you know, have gotten burned. But if you've got somebody that that maybe doesn't understand, you know, <laughs> what it means to burn an NFT or what a floor price is or, or, or you know, these these basic things um, and ends up buying one of these NFTs and then attempts to sell it. And then, you know, uh, sort of unknowingly, even, even though they were notified, didn't realize the implications of what they were doing, not because they were trying to flip an NFT and because, you know, they were assuming the risk, but because they just weren't familiar um, with the nuances of this particular 
project and maybe some of the terminology and all of these things, you know, I'm, I'm talking about more of like a retail or consumer surface level, you know, uh, in, uh, investor or owner that's just kind of trying to play around with NFTs and with with this project in particular, and then they get burned. That to me is the sort of sketchy and sad outcome. I think that's like the challenge piece, isn't it? Because I <clears throat> I think what they'll probably end up doing, my, my guess here is that like these half skulls are going to be used inside like the story where maybe you can like combine them with others and it creates something new. Like I, I think there's probably like some kind of like crafting element. I'm just guessing at this, but that's where I see it. But yeah, I think for the people that got in the project early, um, I'm not actually even sure if it was like a, it's probably a free mint to begin with, but for people buying off secondary market, it's really hard to know. Like there's no, there's not the same kind of disclosures that you would get in like a web two project. You imagine you bought like a physical game. So it was like a PlayStation game. Right. And like, you know, it's like all part of this like amazing story where like, you know, the game would no longer work for you. And you'd just be shut down if like you did a certain action and it was like a whole part of the story. You know, if they, if they did something like that, which would it, like high level, that's kind of a fun, interesting dynamic. Like um, there would have to be so many disclosures. Like you would have to have like, messages everywhere like you would need to just like the whole thing would be like disclosure city and you just there's no good way to do that but we'll we'll keep tabs on what's happening on this i'm sure it's, I, I actually think it's very interesting it's a i haven't seen it done before it's obviously going to ruffle feathers and i'm sure they knew that at the beginning so we'll see we'll see how that all plays out but let's uh let's jump into our final final section with a few little wrap-up stories This is probably my favorite statistic of the day. <laughs> GameStop. You know GameStop, the uh, the NFT company, right? The longtime NFT company uh, <laughs> that was that memed itself into the NFT world after being uh, subject to the shorts, the, the infamous now short squeeze of, was it 2020 or 2021 yeah. when the Wall Street bets thing I, happened? It, it was I 2020, think, I believe. 2020. Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> they, they launched their much anticipated NFT marketplace. I'll be completely honest. I, I thought this was going to just completely flop from day one. I, and I will clarify, I do not think it has long-term legs here, but you know, the GameStop crowd, they've got a, they've got a dedicated fan base. So here's what's happened. 48 hours ago, roughly a little bit more now, GameStop launched its NFT marketplace in that time. A little over the first 48 hours, it did over $2 million in trading volume. Not an <laughs> enormous amount, but pretty impressive, right? Like, especially yeah, in a good. bear market, right? Coinbase, they launched their NFT marketplace on April 20th, several months ago. Coinbase being one of the biggest, if not the most recognized name in all of Web3 and crypto. Since that time, since April 20th to today, it has done $2.95 million in trading volume versus 48 hours of GameStop doing $2 million in trading volume. That is just unbelievable. You know, I was like, as chairman of some of the uh, the team here at DG and uh, we were we were talking about, you know, that Coinbase had re have reportedly spent 
around somehow spent around $600 million so far on their NFT marketplace. I guarantee you GameStop haven't spent that much. Uh, but wow, that is not a project that you'd want to be associated with at this point. Uh, yeah. Not good. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, well, set to the backdrop of that, GameStop is laying people off right now. I imagine it's not in their NFT marketplace, but <laughs> what a wild company to be working for. Can you hey, what imagine? did GameStop and Coinbase both have in common? They both yeah. have NFT marketplaces and they're both laying people off. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Oh, okay. No. Um, speaking of NFT trading, and by the way, that's not meant to be insensitive to people being affected by layoffs. I know that it's terrible. I'm trying to hire some of the people that were uh, affected there, and I, I feel the game, terrible. The for GameStop them. staff? The game, specifically the GameStop staff. Yes, pr- preferably retail. Um, okay. So speaking of NFT uh, trading, CryptoPunks just sold an NFT or an NFT uh, from CryptoPunks was just traded for. million. Uh, It's NFT number 4464. It sold for 2,500 ETH a couple days ago. And uh, yeah, that was just over $2.6 million at the time. That makes it the single largest NFT sale in the last 30 days. And it's actually by a pretty large margin of over $1 million, like $1.3, $1.4 million over number two over the past uh, 30 days. So, wow, um, we are in a bear market, market, but that's... (laughs) What bear market? (laughs) Maybe this is actually uh, just a consequence of inflation. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, CryptoPunks have succumbed to inflation now as well. And uh, that's that's all that's happening here. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's so, yeah, wild one to see. Um, also, for our US listeners, Executive Order 14067 is open for comments right now, and those comments close on August 8th. That is the executive order that uh, Biden signed that is about the development of digital assets. It's basically that crypto executive order that you heard about several months ago. Well, now it's open for comments. If you have thoughts on that, please go comment. We will leave uh, the link to the federalregister.gov websites in the description. And last but not least, just to completely round off this wonderful episode of great news in classic fashion. Is this our quote of the day? Uh, yes (laughs) yes you all know charlie munger well uh he's he's just had some great things to say about crypto hasn't he matt and uh he keeps delivering yeah he has (laughs) recently said that crypto is quote an investment in nothing so my portfolio kind of agrees (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know i'm like holy crap i think he's actually right um but yeah anyway that's all that we have to say we don't have any portugal news for you so goodbye (laughs) (laughs) well austin it's been a pleasure and on that happy note i'll look forward to our chat next week thanks everyone for listening and yeah i'll see you next week austin see you matt The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.